Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Lift Effect podcast. I am your host, Matt McNeil, founder, clinical director, and director of human performance at Lift Effect, where we assist professional pilots with maintaining better mental health and optimizing their mental skills. The goal of this podcast is simple to help pilots and other high liability professionals and disciplines come out of the shadows to discover how we can live better lives personally and professionally. Join us each episode as we discuss various topics ranging from mental health, mental skills and performance, to business, entrepreneurship, and a few other surprises along the way. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Lift Effect Podcast. Your host, Carl Keller, and my man of the moment, hour, day, week, Matt McNeil. Mm. Hey, buddy. Hard to live up to that. How is your week going in this hot, sweltering summer? So, how's my week? Week's going good. I had this weird... uh, yeah, I don't even want to get into it. <laughs> okay, week's <laughs> week's good, man. Week's good. How's your how's your well, week going? I know that you got summed a, it all up. You got a buddy in town, which is cool. Yeah, it, it's really kind of neat. Um, I uh, I have like three really really close friends that go way back. One goes back to seventy eight. One goes back to eighty. One goes back to eighty five. Um, this one was the guy from eighty five where I met him at Nav School when I was mm-hmm. when I first went to, into navigator training, and. Um, We've kept in touch through all all the years. He retired uh, a number of years ago. He flew 141s and uh, was a squadron commander and did a lot of neat things. And we just haven't seen each other for a long time. And he said, since he was retired, he goes, I'm going to come by and visit you and a couple other friends. Um, he's kind of doing this like three or four stop trip around the U.S. right now, visiting some friends. Mm-hmm. And it was just really neat to catch up on all of the stuff. I, I told him about our podcast and I said, doesn't he look like Bill Mayer? And he goes, oh my God, he does. <laughs> so I'll see, I'm not the only one, but it was really neat to see him. So yeah, awesome. it was, it's, it, I take him to the airport tomorrow. The, the time together is just, it goes by so fast. Yeah. So yeah. Well, that that's was awesome. How my, it, Very cool. And it's funny. This is the hottest week of the year so far here in Virginia where we're in the high nineties. And he goes, ah, this is this is a cold snap. It's a hundred and my daughter. I'm picking her up tomorrow. She's in Phoenix. She landed oh, there. One twenty and one nineteen. Yeah. And she goes, I gotta leave. She goes, I can't. I can't live like this. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. It's about a hundred degrees but, here today. So it's been hot. Yeah. It's, it's been hot, but that's awesome, man. I'm. That's cool to have. Yeah. Have friends. So, you know, what's on deck, man? What are we doing? What should we talk about? Well. People think that this is like staged. It's funny. Somebody said, come on, man. You guys, this is all planned out. I got an email. I know you're all planned out. Love love the podcast, but stop acting like you guys are just shooting from the hip. No, it's not. I mean, when it's planned, we'll tell you it's planned, but most of the time it's not planned. It's really looking at questions. And now I'll just say this though, as a heads up, I'm sorry the subscriber feed is not launched yet. It's taking so much there's so many moving parts to get that thing happening. When that is launched, which is coming up within the next 30 days, it's going to be ready. That is a very planned version of the podcast because that's going to be interviewing people, which requires a ton of prep. So, but yeah, we 
a lot of times we don't really know what we're going to talk about and we just kind of let let the questions take us there i think the only one that actually ended up being planned was parts two and three of the sleep yeah yeah because we and had another so the one. scientific savvy too that that was well, took e a little but even, even then one, i didn't know what we were gonna yeah yeah you yeah, didn't know true. at the until uh the reaction from the people as to looking at parts two and three yeah yeah that's true um, that's true so uh but w what we do have is kind of a list of different topics and different things that we think would be of of value to discuss and we kind of look at it and go hey, what makes sense mm -hmm. so I was, this is, this one kind of is on me because of uh, all the stuff that's going on in the airline industry mm -hmm. now, right now uh, with the contracts and everything. <clears throat> this is something that I think is really kind of, I think would be very interesting to our audience. Uh, I, Matt has mentioned in the past that he does coaching, business coaching for other um, high performance uh, individuals up and up and include up to and including CEOs and I thought you know this would be a really neat idea to talk about what goes through the mind of a CEO because uh, with airline pilots you're normally part of a union if you're at a major mm -hmm. and when it comes to contract negotiations just the frustration of what is going why is it so hard and you know when uh when proposal proposals are pushed back and forth what, why things that you would think would make sense don't happen. I thought, you know, what does, since you have coached CEOs mm -hmm. of companies, what, what differences or what kind of mindset and what kind of people are CEOs? Because it takes a certain kind of individual to be a successful CEO of a large company. And what are the issues that they, because every, you've mentioned everybody needs, could, could use coaching and, and, um, mm -hmm. Uh, uh, in their business. So what is it that's different or unique or special about coaching CEOs than coaching a pilot? Yeah. Or an entre a basic uh, entrepreneur of a small business? So I think when I look at it, it depends on uh, what... The, everything is unique. There's not like a curriculum that I use for every person that comes for coaching. And... One of the things that CEOs often struggle with, especially if, now when is their, let's start with this, when is somebody referred for coaching or do they seek coaching? A lot of CEOs, uh, their, their board requires them to be coached. That's part of the agreement is that um, they have an advisory board or a board of directors or shareholders or whatever it is, depending on how the company's structured. Oftentimes they will require the executive to be coached that's just a requirement you need to be working with a coach to um ensure that you're optim optimizing what you're doing some ceos will seek coaching on their own it's not a requirement uh, because they want specific help so it just depends on what the engagement is but what i see often is there's a new ceo somebody stepping into a new role and they're trying to figure out the lay of the land and and figure out what to do now they they know more about their business than i do a lot of airline executives will work with me because i have a lot of experience working with airlines and i understand that industry and so they'll they'll select that but sometimes the ceos of uh, restaurant groups or um law firms or whatever it is even hospital um i've worked with some hospital administrators that are you know high level administrators so it just depends on the engagement but 
almost universally when I work with a CEO is, is role definition. So understanding and really helping them decipher out what is their role and what is the, the, what are the roles of their business operations? There's sort of like the CEO role and there's the biz ops role. And that's a, that's a big, a big thing to, to be able to define out, okay, what are the responsibilities? What is the role I want to assume? What is the role where my skills are most optimized for this role? And then figuring out what those lanes are. So a lot of it is discovering even internally within their psychology of what are they, what are they are good, what are they good at? What, where can they be most useful? It's not always what they want. It's not always what they really want to do, but it's where can they be most useful to the organization, helping them sift through that. So that's one of the big, the big things. Then we, a lot of things that I, I'm just sort of the, the laundry list of things that I will help work on is onboarding. Um, how do they fire well? How do they hire well? How do they give feedback? How do they receive feedback? Um, how do they work creatively? How do they build trust? We've talked about trust on this podcast before. Um, managing energy, like kind of doing an energy audit, looking at what's their, you know, their, their zone of genius. How do they, um, uh, how do they learn to say no? How do they manage meetings? That's a big thing that I'll work on with them is like, okay, how do you make time effective and efficient? Because CEOs are typically scheduled in 15-minute increments and they have to manage their time really well. If anybody's met with a C-level executive, you understand you got 15 minutes often and if if you don't get it right very quickly, you're out of there. Like it's just, it is, and and because that that executive is so structured with being able to be productive and so we spend a lot of time um helping them how to how to run a meeting and i think that's that's universal to like yeah, almost anybody anybody that has a team even like a pilot that's got to have the quick huddle before a trip with the flight attendants and and the and the pilots and everything else like there's an effective way to have a meeting and there's an ineffective way to have a meeting and it's not simple it's not just like intuitive you know um decision making process there, there i could go on and on you know mission vision values how do you motivate your team how do you deal with conflict resolution it just depends on what's what's happening for them have you seen a difference between a ceo that is publicly held versus private. Oh, huge. You know, huge what, difference. What are the differences? Obviously, because you're accountable to shareholders. You're accountable to shareholders, and um, there is. It's 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 interesting. Uh, entrepreneurs do not make good CEOs, <laughs> like of of publicly traded companies. They make good CEOs of privately held companies. But publicly held companies is a completely different... It's sort of like the mission is totally different. And it's the same way with like a publicly traded company versus a private a private company. The mission and the mindset and the skill set is, is just so like just almost diametrically opposed to one another. The entrepreneur people are very... They're, they're creative. Their, their job is to be... Think really outside of the box. Um they will typically want to own as much share as possible if not all of it they don't give up any of that 
they hire quickly, they fire quickly. They're, the mindset is totally different. Whereas a publicly traded company is you're managing a, a, a lot, a bunch of other different kinds of entities. Like there's a board, there may be in different investing uh, uh, channels that you have to manage. There's um, the laws are different. <laughs> with what you can do and what you can't do, what is insider trading versus, not, you know, insider trading is, is applies to publicly held companies, not private. And so there's a lot, there's just a different, it's not one is not better than the other. They each have their own complexities, but they're totally, they're totally different. Completely I mean, different. I don't think, uh, you know, Elon Musk, you know, he's an entrepreneur, but all of his companies were privately held. I can't imagine, uh, yeah. You know, it it was different once it uh, uh, when you're answering to someone else, and yeah. you're not the final answer. Well, and he's and, struggled. He's struggling yeah? because um, we could argue: is he really an entrepreneur? I mean, he didn't. He's the guy hasn't invented anything in his life. He bought things that were already invented. So let's just be clear about that. I think the emperor has no clothes in many respects. Whether you think he's genius or not, I don't really care. But he's running into some very serious problems because I think he does not understand the gig. I'll tell you so, something. Here's a really important. Can I riff on that for a second? This the, the gig. Sure, sure. So when I um, for, there was a time where I was working as a recording engineer, when and there was flying jobs were nil and everybody was furloughed and there's and I, I I everybody knows I like music and. In college, I, I worked in a recording studio, and I love the engineering aspect of it. And it's it's like a big giant flight deck, you know, with the consoles. And there was a time where I worked. I, I was like, okay, I, I I gotta I gotta make a living. And I was living in New York City, and I was like, all right, I, I'm gonna work in in uh, the recording studios. And a lot of these guys that I worked with had gone to these recording schools, like Full Sail, and where that that was what they did. And I was this outsider, and and I'm here now working audio, and they're like, "Oh, you didn't go to a recording school, and and so you, you're not, you know, you, all my training was on the job. Let's put it that way, right? <laughs> I didn't have all the OGT. theory and all this, you know. And and this is not to brag, but like I became one of the most sought after engineers in the city because I came up with this plan of how am I going to do this. I identified like, well, what is the one thing that needs to happen. Uh, where is the industry going? And at the time, everything was recorded on two-track tape. But there was this company called DigiDesign, and they made something called Pro Tools, which was digital a digital computer-based recording. Everyone's like, "Oh, digital sucks. It's never it's never as good as tape." And there's still these purists that 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 believe that way. And tape sounds great, but I was like, "Look, digital is the future. I I think this is this is going to be a thing." And big, so there's some very big projects we're starting to record on Pro Tools. And so I went and took out a ton of credit cards. I had no money. I was broke. And I somehow was able to get a ton of, I just applied for 50 different credit cards. And I got them. And I bought a Pro Tools system. Nobody bought, studios bought Pro Tools systems. Not a person did not buy, because, and here's the thing. I wanted to become a Pro Tools operator. I was like, there's money in there. There's a gig in there. There's there's work in that. But nobody would give me access to a Pro Tools system. It was like, you, you needed to have experience on Pro Tools to get the gig, but you couldn't get 
the gig because you didn't have experience on Pro Tools. It's like the same, right? It, we This happens in any career, whatever. So I was like, okay, I'm going to buy a system, which is like, you're going to do what? We're going to buy it. That's the only way I'm going to learn this thing. And so I bought a Pro Tools. I, I, I spent $80,000. This was back in 90... Uh, no, no. Oh, this was right after the 9-11. So this was in 03, 02. And that was like, you know, that was a lot of money back then. It's a lot of money back now. And it was like, this is a big gamble. If this goes sideways, I am totally hosed. Totally hosed. And so I bought the system and I was like, I'm going to learn everything about the system. So I, I, I hold myself up in my apartment in Brooklyn and I did not leave for like two months. I just, I ordered food in and I was up 22 hours, you know, I'd go stay awake for 22 hours and I'd sleep for like five and do it again. And I just learned everything I could about Pro Tools and I bought a, a system. And so then I, I, so I was like, okay, I can market this thing. Say, hey, I got a system, but I need to learn how to do the system before I can market it. So I learned everything I could about it. And short story long, long story short, I became like the most sought at, one of the most sought after Pro Tools operators in New York. Because I had my own system, didn't require the studio to have it, and I, I knew how to use it. Now, here's that's not the, 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 the end of the story, though. I would go into these, I would get hired, and I would go into the studios, and I learned this very quickly when I was working with all these people that had the formal educations in, in, in engineering. There would be like, you know, one lead, three assistants, the main engineer, the mix engineer. It's a big production. It's like a flight crew in many respects. And a lot of guys would get the engineering job and they would get fired. It was a very high turnover rate. If, they, if the producer didn't like you, they just tossed you out. You were gone. You were out. And the reason, and, and, I, and I didn't get fired. I, I rarely ever got fired from a project. And the reason is because I would go in and I would figure out, okay, what is the, what is the deal with this production? What is the producer's mindset? What does he want? What does the artist want? And what they want is what matters. It's not what I want. And the guys with the big formal education would come in and they would be kind of know it all. Well, this is this and that, you know, this is how you're, you should be doing it. And they would get fired. And so one of the things I realized very early on was know the gig. You need know to your know, audience. know your audience, like know what is being asked of you and what is the, what are the expectations of you? And it's not the same. It's, you may be a genius. And I, and so I would, I knew everything about pro tools. I had my own system and I would come into the gig and most of the time I would use maybe 5% of what that system was capable of. And if I wanted to overuse it, which is what other guys would try to do, they would just get fired. It's like, nobody cares if you're a genius. What they care about is what you can do for them. And so what really problem of theirs do you solve? Do you solve? And guys would just get fired. They could not understand how does this dork who has who's a pilot get have no, you know, no formal education. How did he do that? How is he getting all of these big gigs? You know, I was working on some big albums, big albums of the day, like the top star, you know, were and and it was it's like how did he get in here? He you know it was like he must know somebody or he must be the ki the kid of somebody or whatever. He must be sleeping with somebody. You know it's like no. All I did was I I bought a system so I could learn it because nobody would give me the time of day. I figured out how to market the system, but most importantly is 
I came in and I gave them exactly what they wanted. Not what I wanted, what I knew was... And over time, as you build trust, you can start to say, hey, here's something maybe you might want to think about that might make this a little bit better. But you don't lead with that. That's not what you lead with. And CEOs are supposed to come in and know the answers, but the good ones come in and they they are able to assess what is happening and in helping them you know so what I do is I help them understand what is the gig what is the gig and that's hard when you're at the leadership position because people are looking at you saying you're supposed to tell us what the gig is but uh, no not not totally true you need to understand the situation as the new CEO or the existing CEO like do you even understand what your gig actually is? And that is not an intuitive process. <laughs> can I uh, can I riff just a little yeah, bit? Yeah, please. I, that, not a term I usually use. I'll let you use that one. That You own that one. Um, <laughs> uh, what, in my opinion, what Matt just said worked for him because he put in the commitment and the time to make it work for all of you out there that are uh entrepreneur wannabes use extreme caution when you start using your own money you know oh, when he was saying yeah. he got yeah. all those credit cards yeah i would not that's a very that. very extremely dangerous thing especially in today's environment where yes if you don't meet the the payments or, or you know if you use a, a zero interest or whatever 20, 29 30 percent interest it will kill you so if you have a good idea or make a business case and get a business loan, um, so at least it's because it, your personal money, it just it's very careful. It worked because, and it may work for you if you're willing to put in that commitment. But most people have a great idea to do this. They would buy that equipment, but they wouldn't put in the 20, 22 hours that it took uh, day after day to make it happen. And then they get frustrated why they aren't getting any uh, any people and they're paying money out the butt. So be really careful that you know that's not what this conversation was about. But when I heard uh, when when he said that, I just want to make sure yeah, for everybody out there, be well, careful. When you're in your mid twenties, you can do that because and I and I calculate. I was like, okay, if this goes sideways, and I had had a comp, I had actually had a business before that I that I got into deep doo doo with, and figured out how to get out of it, and ended up selling it for quite a big profit. So I wasn't like a, a total noob to this, but I had calculated. Well, if this goes sideways, I'm young enough to where I can recover this uh, and still be able to do okay. But in, in my 40s, right, I would not do this. Now, here's a quick hack. And I and I coach, on, this is where entrepreneurs, this is what separates, and a lot of pilots will that want to have a side hustle will, I've worked with a lot of pilots. And this is where, what separates the, the, the men and the women from the boys and the girls. And they never want to hear this. They get so mad. I've said this before. The biggest mistake is they focus all their energy on their website and not on the actual product that they create. But here's what you can do how you're not... One is don't use your own money. Uh, there's an unless. There's an unless to that. There's a but to that. Yep. Um, but for the most part, like very successful people in business, whether they're in a publicly traded company or they're certainly publicly traded or they're entrepreneurial... They they don't use their own money for anything ever. They use other people's money. That's the smart o thing to do. OPM. OPM. I mean, it's you know other, other people's, people's money. money.
but there's a but to that. And and I've and I have I've done this myself. Uh, I've done this with lift effect. Um, go get the client first, then build your business. People think they have to, and nobody takes my advice. I mean, the the ones that do take my advice are successful, but nobody wants to do that. What they want to do is spend all their time creating something and getting business cards and getting letterhead and getting a fancy website and all this marketing nonsense. They want to spend all their time creating a business and then they only to realize that there is no business. <laughs> like you created something that nobody wants. Go find what somebody wants first and then build the business around that. And I know this is off topic from what we were talking about with CEOs, but can I give you my personal experience Please. real quick? I, uh, with another person, started up uh, a t-shirt, apparel, tumbler, mug, and, and I think we've alluded to this in the past. Mm -hmm. And we were doing really well. Um, our advertising costs were high, but we were getting sales, a lot of them. And then all of a sudden, I noticed that the sales were dropping, and I, was, I asked my partner, you know, because he was the one that was doing the advertising. And I said, uh, did we change anything? And he goes, no, no, not really. I said, why are the sales dropping? And what he was doing was he was taking his eye off the ball. He was, we were still spending the money, but he wasn't focusing on that because he goes, you know, I, I'm not sure I like my website the way it is because when they had taken the initial pictures, they not not everybody's head was shown. It would show the product, but it wouldn't show the full. And he right. goes, that just doesn't look very good. So he spent over two months doing that, making the site prettier because he thought, okay, it would be more aesthetically pleasing. And our sales plummeted. And I'm when I'm talking about plummeted, I'm talking about from 90000 hundred thousand dollars a month to fifteen thousand and i mean we weren't even covering our costs and i kept saying we've got to get our eyes back on the ball but he just was bound and determined to do that and we ended up with a very nice site but it, we struggled to get we've got we got deep in debt and we struggled to get out of it after that um he we had great ideas and he was a good designer but his focus was on aesthetics and what was pleasing versus that ties into the other part of this. Most people go into a business, but they treat it like a hobby because they have personal emotional investment in it and they don't treat it like and make the hard business decisions that they need to make it successful. They, they have too much ownership in. And like you said, it's not what I want. It's what the customer wants. And just because I may not think that's the best design the way I wanted it, but the customers go nuts over it. Then that's what the customer wants. Don't sit there and say, well, I'm going to give them something different. They may not want that. So yeah. treat it like a business and and go into the mindset that ugly, sometimes ugly sells. Yep. And, and and that's not, people aren't buying your website. They're buying your product. That's so right. That's just an aside that I think that when any, and, and I say this, I, the only reason I brought this up was so many people, like you say, in the aviation career have a side business that they want to do to augment their, their career in case something happens to them medically. But I don't think they go in with the right mindset oftentimes. And then they, what's the old saying? How does a pilot make a million dollars? Start with two. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And that uh, it's and true. That I, it's, it, it's true. I, I totally agree with that. And I remember going through a lot of that with you when we, you know, I kind of helped you look at some of that with your partner at the time. And it was, it was, it was, it was alarming. I mean, how quickly things can just go off the rails oh by one just, little pivot. It, it was like almost overnight. It was like you could see a switch. It was. It, I could see when he took his eye off the ball. And and I yeah. and I was I thought it I thought it was the algorithm with Facebook at first, which does well, do that, but it wasn't. And I see I see entrepreneurs do this too, is they say, you know, well, th- they they get so um, firm in th- what they think their business is that they that they become inflexible when the market is saying we don't want that, we want this. And they're like, but no, but this is yeah. what we do. And it's like, I don't really care what you think you do. It's what does your client think? What do they need? Yep. But you can, and now now what, what people will say, entrepreneurs, pilots, trying to start companies or businesses, they'll say is, well, I can't go and sell something that I don't have. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And it's not to go falsely advertise say i have this product you want to buy it and then go try to create it real quick no you go and you ask them would this be if if i had something that i could give you or you could use would that be useful to you and you could say i don't have it yet but if i did if i created this would this be something that you would use well if they go yeah that's great absolutely then go create it then go build your business yep around something that you but what people do is they just get an idea in their head and they build all this infrastructure and they didn't do any testing they didn't really figure out if anybody actually wants this and that's just the stupidest thing in the world and it's so easy to do that it's so easy to get caught up in that you have to be able to show how you are different from others that may have do similar things like isn't it people that's i hate to say it what i i wasn't as smart about this as i should have been you know, t-shirts, people sell it and they're very successful. But if you can't differentiate yourself from other people as to why they should buy from you, the only thing that differentiates you is price. price. Yep. So, but we can talk about that in a future one. I guess I'm going to, we've dug, we went way down the rabbit hole that, uh, and- Well, let I'm me, let me, let me ask you a question. Let's, sure. let's riff, let's riff on this one. So we're talking, let's talk about, about the airlines. And this is not to offend our corporate brothers and sisters out there that are doing our 135 ops. We should probably spend a little bit of time on that because we do have a lot of listeners on that. But just because the airlines are so in the news right now, because of they just there's contract negotiations, everybody's upset. The there's the system is melting down. It's like you know there was Southwest, and then that kind of, the United became the new Southwest with the meltdown and. It's just all, the, and don't worry, Delta, yours is coming, okay, and American, <laughs> so stop acting like you're, I mean, that's, every airline does that that's doing well, they're like, we're the best. It's like, don't forget, you were the dirtbag not that long ago, okay? So it's it's a, it's hard, and it's we'll a be hard again. business, and you will be again. I mean, <laughs> it's the hard, it's a hard business, but from a, from a customer standpoint, where do you think the gaps are? I've got a CEO of an airline, right, a COO of an airline that's i'm working with pretty intensely but where do you think the gaps are what it, what it, what where are the airlines screwing up and i don't i'm not talking about the pilots i'm talking about the passengers and i know passengers are just gross and they're entitled and they don't and it's a public bus and 
yada, yada, yada. We, we can talk about some of the dynamics of that, but where do you think the big opportunities are for airlines to make improvements? That is it. That that is a great question, and it's, and it's one I would think I would struggle to answer with any depth quickly because it, it we've created a lot of the problems because we set up sometimes what I think are I wouldn't say unreasonable expectations, but difficult expectations to um, to accomplish. You know, people have expectations that. Because the airline industry is a very complex uh, yep. management, uh, you know, to manage. I've always said that we are, we, what we are experts at is dealing with chaos. When things go to crap, we are often very, uh, we're, we figure out ways to make it work. But when things are going well, it seems like we take our eye off the ball and um, we let things that we normally can figure out how to do well, let us, it, it, weather right now is just, wreaking havoc atc is its own animal that you can't control yep but but you know every summer you're going to have these different weather conditions on different parts of the country and yet we always act like the the operation is agnostic there's it's the same year round you know snow in the winter and everything and people have expectation that i'm going to show up on time i'm going to show up for my flight you're going to leave on time you're going to arrive on time and there'll be times i remember sitting going we would stay at a gate longer. And and actually sometimes it was to, we would delay a flight to get passengers on from other flights that were coming in that were delayed or or had had, had issues yeah. to get people on because we saw that we were going to arrive because of the weather that day or the winds aloft would be that we would arrive 20 minutes early. Mm-hmm. So the gate agents sometimes we would fight our own gate agents because they wanted to close on time because that was the metric that they got uh, evaluated on you got to close your gate on your, your the boarding gate on time otherwise that was a a, a a mark against you and we would say we're going to arrive 20 minutes early and you've got 10 passengers that are going to misconnect if we can't don't wait an extra 10 minutes so willingness and, to be late like to make yeah, well, to, to have some context with willingness there, to you know, flex with that kind to, yeah, of stuff have context go, yep. let's look at what this that that you each individual situation. Sometimes you got to leave because you're doing you're you're taking a whole bunch of people to an international destination where they've got hard connections that they mm-hmm. need to make, and and yeah, you, sometimes it sucks to leave a passenger or passengers behind because mm-hmm. you're trying to look at the needs of them as of many as many as you can. You'd like to do a hundred percent of them, but you can't sometimes. So here's look. but that's that's I think we create unreasonable expectations sometimes of because people. Uh, I'll just finish the thought. That when you don't close that gate on time, already people are already complaining. I'm going to miss my connection. I'm not. I'm going to get there late. Even when we tell them that's not the case, and they think we're BSing them, and it's it's. So we we just we've not created this. Hey, we're we're actually doing this because you would want us to wait for you if you were going to misconnect. So I think you highlight what I think is a in in kind of in your comment there is what is communicated. I think that is the biggest area that airlines need need help with. It and look, it's swung and hospitals have the same issue where everything became customer satisfaction surveys, right? They're they're like they're make yep. their decisions based on customer satisfaction. And some of that is dumb. Like customers do not know what is best for them. That's that's BS. You know, there's like I remember in college I worked in this retail place. 
selling electronic equipment or whatever for a summer. And I had this great manager. He was awesome. I loved him. He really knew what he was doing. He ended up becoming the the regional director, and then he he worked his way up and became like a C level executive in in the the company. Uh, this was at at Best Buy. Remember Best Buy? But when they they're still around, I guess. Um, Circuit City went out of business, but yep. Best Buy was around. And I worked at Best Buy for the summer, and I had this manager. He'd say, "Look, you know the old adage that the customer is always right. Y- you and I know that that's not true." The customer is not always right. In fact, the customer is usually wrong. Your job is to make them feel like they're right <laughs> while still being able to provide them with what you know is right. And the airlines have not figured this out. And what they've done is, and the same with the hospitals, they just they used to not listen at all. And then they just said, okay, the customer's always right. Let's just go on what the customer's opinion is and make decisions on that with these customer satisfaction surveys just pure stupidity they they need training on what information is valuable to the customer and how do you communicate that effectively and how do you state your expertise effectively and it's like the wild west out there when you go to the airport every crew is just there's no standardization at all around gate agents to uh, TSA, and I'll tell you, the TSA process is just a is is a dinosaur. It's like, and you know what? You you, you want to know how you piss off a passenger? That's how you piss them. You start them off with the humiliation yes. of going through TSA. It's and like and now what it is? Okay, well, do you, are do you have clear? Do, well, are you TSA pre? Do you have clear and TSA pre? They they've created a first class system. You know, which they've, is the whole. They've, they've, they've created a product. Oh, exactly. A, a for profit product off yep. of people's misery under the guise of safety. And there is AI and technology that, that you don't need to send people through x ray machines and just these. Like, clean that up. You got to, you have to clean that up. But let's say, we, okay, we can't control that. That's the government. What can the airlines do? Figure out how to standardize what information is actually valuable to passengers and what information is not valuable. Stop giving them stuff that's that's basically the equivalent of, of, of interpersonal Doritos to chew on. It's not helpful. And it crack, in fact, it creates more, more conflict. Also, you know what the airlines could do too? They could create of a very clear delineation and way of communicating what their expectations are of the passengers and what the passengers should expect from them. But you notice nobody does that. You go to the airport and everybody's standing around not knowing what's going on. Nobody knows what's happening. The crew doesn't know what's happening. They don't know how to communicate it. Some people, you know, you get off an airplane and half the time nobody's standing at the door. No, there's no pilot appearance at all it's like you've created a bus just a stupid greyhound bus and it's like that wears people down and and when you when you stick people in the back of an airplane and expect them to trust you that is a a huge loss of control for passengers and if you don't give them a little bit of like communication and warm fuzzy that like hey we got you we're going to take care of you this is what's going to happen is exactly what you see on YouTube everywhere. 
I'm sure you would uh, could go t- with more, but to me, there are like four things. One is price of a ticket. People look at that. Yep. Another First is... First and foremost. Yep. Another is, do they feel safe and comfortable getting to their destination? Third, are you getting their, them there at the time because maybe they have a following connection or they're getting for a cruise? And is, is my luggage getting there? Yep. And unfor- you know, in today's environment, when everything is scanned and a, and it doesn't show up, and then the customer goes, well, where is it? Oh, it's in, I'm in Miami, but it's in Tulsa. And then the customer's going, no, I had, a, I had an air tag in there. It's actually in Denver. You know, it's like in today's environment where everything's scanned, how do you not know that stuff? And then you tell them with, oh, you tell them where it is. Um, I feel like w- w- this is a core competency that we have to, we should have nailed down by now. And it frustrates the customer because now they're where they want, but they don't have what they brought with them. So these are things that I think we need to do better at, whether it's communicating, whether it's being able to understand the flexibility of, of what the, the, the that specific event requires and making sure that People get where they need to get and with what they brought with them. Those yeah. are things. Um, I wanted to ask one last question because we're getting near the end here mm-hmm. real quick that goes back to where we kind of started the conversation with with um, with with um, the CE, coaching CEOs. Mm-hmm. Do you see a, um, a particular type of individual uh, that is you consider successful or one that will be challenged, you know, as far as if you were to kind of do a profile in generic terms as to what would what kind of person you when you're working with them going okay i really see this person going to be able to be successful or oh, no one going oh yeah you're there but you're gonna have a work yeah out of you. i could not delineate that down into a two-minute soundbite but i think you've got to be able to balance compassion leading with heart ethics and competency the the in any endeavor, the one that is really engaged in learning, that is actively learning, and is not just, well, this is how we've always done it, or this is how I do it. The ones that are really invested in understanding, without judgment, what the situation is, putting their own ego aside, and being able to, to get a clear understanding of where the industry is, where their customers are, where being able to see around the corners of what's ahead, those are the ones that are successful, the consummate students. And it's the same with pilots. The pilots that that do I think that that are the ones that you want when the when the poop goes goes south are the ones that have really put the time in mastering their craft. They're not just on autopilot uh, mentally. They, they study, they, they learn, they are keen observers, they approach things non-judgmentally, just more with curiosity, they put the lab coat on. I think those are the ones that tend to be more successful. They're willing to, a willingness to fail, um, which most CEOs are. They have lots of failures. That's why they're in the position that they're in, is because they, they're willing to try and they learn from it. So I think those are, the, those are the, some of the factors that leads to, to more successful outcomes for CEOs. I will tell you that I've always thought, you know, what, what decisions would I make if I was CEO that the current CEO isn't making? Yeah. 
And I would tell you, I don't know that I could do it, and I'll tell you why. And this may even lead to another conversation on another on a different podcast. The decisions that they make sometimes are very hard. When you make a decision to, uh, whether mm-hmm. it's an auto plant or whatever, you're going to shut down a plant. Or in this case, or you're going to furlough. You're affecting hundreds or thousands of people's lives, both directly and indirectly with the family. And I think the more empathy and compassion you have, the harder it can be on you psychologically because you, you, what you're, the decision you make, although it doesn't affect you directly, is a, it's life-altering for others. Yeah. And I've always thought that there takes a certain kind of person to be able to do that and still function at a high level knowing that I've still got to run a business, but yet, boy, I just put a thousand people on the street. And and unfortunately, in the aviation world, when things like that happen, unfortunately, some unfortunate events occur up to and including suicides. Yes. Which is, a, that's scary. Yep. I, I don't know I would want to do that. And that, and I, like I said, I think I would want to delve into that conversation. Yeah, the there's road, kind of a level of adaptive narcissism that, that has to yeah. be to be there let me leave i want to leave this for the for our pilot uh community here here's a here's a challenge just try to communicate and look if you're a pilot that says i don't want to communicate with passengers i don't care then you're honestly you need to have a come to jesus talk about why you're doing this like don't forget who you work for it's not the you work for you represent the company you work for but you actually work for the the paying passengers i believe that because without them you got nothing remember covid Remember what that felt like flying empty planes around, how scared you were? Don't forget that. Just try to communicate instead of what's going wrong. Look what happens if you communicate what's going right. Hey, folks, just wanted to give you a quick reminder. We're on time. We're n- there's no chance we're going to time out. The weather looks great onto our destination. We're excited to have you. Let's get you boarded up. Watch how that changes the entire atmosphere of, of the crew of the passengers, everything. Nobody communicates what's good. They only communicate the bad news. And when you just communicate, hey, that things are looking great, and I appreciate the hell that you went through going through TSA to get here, and we're going to take care of you from here on out, watch how that changes the entire experience of that that trip from A to B. So yep. I challenge you to just, in the age of news which is just bad news all the time all the time it's everything is everything's on fire try to spread a little good news about what's going on not not bs but like hey this is what's going right today watch how that just changes the con the the countenance of what's happening that's a challenge i give our listeners try it and let us know how that works for you well i'm gonna leave that as the last word for today as always, we thank you for being here and listening and, and giving us your input. Please give us a like, thumbs up, leave a review, tell your friends, your fellow pilot, your your fellow entrepreneurs about us because we want to spread the word and, and please let us know if, it's, if the words we're giving are the ones you want to hear. But we, we want you to know that we, ca- we thank you for us being here because you're the reason we're here so this is just like an airline announcement from the cockpit thank you and until next time have a great day
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Lift Effect Podcast. If you want to dive deeper into this episode and every episode, go to our website, lifteffect.com forward slash podcast. If you're enjoying the show, we would love it if you'd follow us on Spotify and rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate your support. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, all with the ID Matthew McNeil. This show is brought to you by Lift Effect, a clinical mental health and consulting company that assists air carriers, corporate flight departments, pilot unions, and commercial pilots by providing comprehensive psychotherapy and mental skills coaching services to pilots with mental health and mental performance related issues. Visit lifteffect.com, that's L-I-F-T-A-F-F-E-C-T.com to book your free consultation. And finally, this podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of counseling, psychotherapy, medicine, or any other healthcare service, including the giving of medical advice. No therapeutic or provider-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and any materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional psychological advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining advice for any psychological or medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on the Lift Effect podcast.